I'm going to be talking about end times tonight. You know, just in, I believe it's something that not, not a lot of pastors have preached on. As recent as it was in the generations before. But I do believe that more people will begin to preach on it as times are drawing near. This, you know, the signs are there. It's very obvious. And especially to those that have, have been in scripture and have, uh, you know, their faith and their hope in Jesus Christ. But there are those that they don't, and there are scoffers uh, that will scoff at this. But our responsibility is to know the word. So that we can get the word out there. So that you can be able to explain it to people when they ask. It's not just for pastors and teachers to know and understand. But it's also so that you can give account and show yourself approved yourself whenever you talk to the people that you're around on a daily basis. That's important. Because if they have questions, you want to be able to give them the answer. You want to be able to at least provide them some understanding about, uh, you know, in times the return of Christ. So I'm going to have you turn to 2 Timothy, chapter 3, to start out with. We're going to go through uh, quite a bit of scripture tonight. But I'm going to open up first in prayer. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that you have given us biblical prophecy, that you have given us understanding so that we know, Father, what is to come, that you have not left us in the dark, but, Lord, that you have given us an outline, a path, a guide to understand what is coming so that we can know how to anchor ourselves, uh, even during trials, even when um, the world is changing and shifting, but you don't change. So we thank you, Father, you're a solid rock. We thank you, Lord, that, that you are always secure. So we pray, Father, over this word today, I pray that you would anoint it, that I would be able to explain it so that it's understandable. And I thank you, Father, for the word of God that's always true. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. And it says, I'm going to start right at verse 1. It says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God having a form of godliness, but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. This is a very straightforward scripture, uh, a passage in the word of God that, that explains what it's going to be like in the last days, how the character of what it's going to be like uh, for people. They're going to be lovers of themselves. They're going to have a, a desire for their own selfish ambition. Other people are not going to matter. You know, it's going to be about what I want and what I want now. And it's going to be about uh, disrespect and not having a respect for the word of God or for each other. So even, even now we see many of these things happening. But one of the things it also says is having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. You know, there's a lot of people that claim to know Jesus Christ, but they deny the power of Jesus Christ. They don't believe in the power of healing. They don't believe in the power of God. And the thing is, you know, when we read the scripture, that's everything that Jesus was. You know, how can you read through the Gospels and, and not walk away seeing the power of God? How can you read through the book of Acts and not see the power of God? So it's, God is all-powerful. So when we understand that God is powerful, and there's a world out there that says, well, yeah, God may be powerful, but he doesn't show himself here on earth today. Or he doesn't manifest himself on earth today. It says, have nothing to do with them. Because there are people that, there are some that just don't know, and they just need to be taught and they're willing to learn, but there are some that are just adamant. No, God, God is not working today. That, that, that's of the enemy. That's of the devil. You know, the, you, anything that has to do with the power of God is of the enemy. They'll, they'll chalk it up as something that's of Satan. But we know that in these last days, we need the power of God more than ever. 
We can't get through times of hardship and trials without the security and the power of God. Amen? Amen. So these are the things that will mark uh, uh, times. It will be the character of people. That there will, there will be people that are just lovers of themselves. And, you know, even through this, it does good to read this from time to time to keep our own selves in check. You know? Because we've got to make sure that we're living a holy life, but not... Not just a holy life, but we're not being conceited. We're not being boastful. We're not being in a position that we're uh, unloving or disrespectful towards one another. That we're not being uh, lovers of money. You know, it's like lovers of money. Even though money's not the, the root of all evil, but the love of money is the root of all evil. When, when money drives you, but, you know, it's not because you want money to, to be the thing that you're able to bless people with, but it drives you because you want it for your own selfish ambition. So we have to realize that we can't be selfish. It's about the love of God because God is love. Amen? Amen? All right, let's turn over to... Uh, 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. And here Paul's writing to the, the church and he's saying, Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Understand that when it's talking about people that have fallen asleep, it's not talking about people that have fallen asleep uh, in the natural. Like they, they haven't like dozed off in church, okay? That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about Christians who have fallen asleep in Christ. They, they were Christians, and they passed away. They, they died, okay? but they were Christians. And so he's talking here. He said, we don't want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or grieve like everyone else when you know that their end is not like uh, the world's end. That's why when we go through the process of grieving for a loved one, it's different. When we know that someone's saved, we have a security and a hope. And we can actually look at things differently because we know that's not the end. We know that we get to see them again. And it brings all the joy. Yes, there can be sadness. There can be, uh, you know, just the, the sadness at the loss of someone. But if they were saved, your eyes are on eternity. It's not like this is it and you never get to see them again. So there's a joy that can actually be settled on the inside of you that this isn't the end. I will see them again. There's a life after this one. There's an eternity after this one. And he says, I don't want you to be ignorant of that. He said, we don't have to look at it and, and be as though there's no hope. But he says, we believe that Jesus died and rose again. So we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him according to the Lord's own word. We tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. So he's saying here the first thing that happens at the return of Christ, meaning the, the rapture. How many have heard of the rapture? Okay. Because we're, we're in a generation where not everybody's heard of the rapture. Not everybody understands what the rapture is. Many will say, well, the rapture's not even in the Bible. The word rapture is not in the Bible because the word rapture actually means the catching away or the snatching away, which is in the Greek, in the original Greek, the snatching away, the pulling away, or the force that actually catches, up, uh, catches something up. So that is biblical. And of course, we gave it the term rapture. 
But that is the catching away of the saints. When Jesus returns and it says with a loud trumpet and in the blast of a trumpet and the archangel and then there's going to be the catching away. But first, the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then we who are still alive that are in Christ, we who still remain will be caught up with them and we will meet Jesus, our Savior, in the sky. So this is a glorious day for us. Many people are afraid of, of the time the talk of end times. You know, it's in their mind they have they have a fear of what it is. But the thing is, I heard Tim Shuttlesworth say, he said, God didn't give us uh, the understanding of prophecy to scare us. He gave it to us to prepare us. So it is so that, I mean, when he said that, I thought, you know, how would we act if we didn't have any kind of prophecy? What would it be like? If you had no understanding of what was coming, you know, that would be more scary. Because we would have no idea, and we wouldn't be able to prepare. We wouldn't know what was coming. So I'm very thankful for biblical prophecy. And when your heart is, is right with God, then you don't have anything to fear. It's actually a reunion of your Savior. It's a reunion of, of you and your Master. You're going home to be with the Lord, which is a, a wonderful thing. You know, the thing is, I pray that, that we have more time for the sake of reaching more. But we don't have to fear the end times. We don't have to fear the rapture. We don't have to fear the coming of the Lord, the day of the Lord. And so when it talks about uh, the dead in Christ will rise and then we will rise uh, with them. And then starting in, in chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety. Destruction will come upon them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. So even just through these, I'm just trying to pull out some, some understandings out of these scriptures, okay? Here we know the dates and times we will not know. In fact, Jesus said that he didn't even know. Only the Heavenly Father, only his Father knew the day and the time of his return. When the Father says, okay, son, go get your bride, that will be the day that Jesus doesn't even know that day. So no one knows the day or the hour. So if anyone claims to know it, they're off. They're really off. Don't listen to them. Go ahead and just, like, shut it out, change the subject, start talking about your favorite recipe. I don't know. They, it, they, they don't know the word of God because it's very clear. But no one knows the day or the hour. But he says... While people are talking about peace and safety, he will come like a thief in the night. A thief in the night. Does a thief call you and tell you, I'm going to be showing up tonight at 1.30 a.m. and I'm going to be coming through the back door and I'm going to get this, this, and this in your home. Can you just go ahead and leave the back door open for me? You know, so I don't have to. No, a thief doesn't call. He doesn't give you a heads up when he's coming. He says he's going to come like a thief in the night. That means there's not going to be a sign. We have signs of the end times, but we do not have a sign that points to the rapture. So the rapture itself can happen at any time. Because everything that needs to happen for the, the stage for the, the, the coming of the Lord has happened. Everything is ready. Everything is set up. In fact, it's, it's interesting because uh, we're getting very much into the end, the end days to the point that it, it is countdown. I mean, it could have already happened. You know, it, it's in a, it, I'm not saying it has already happened. I'm saying it could have already have happened because everything has been set up for some time. In fact, if you go to, go to hold your finger there, but go to Matthew 24. We're going to be coming back to Thessalonians, but go to Matthew 24. And look at verse 32. It says, now learn, now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. 
Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near, right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. This is pointing to, and this is explaining, the rebirthing of Israel as a nation. There has never in history been a nation that has, has been a, an actual nation, dispersed, lost their nationhood, lost, lost uh, their territory, lost everything, and dispersed around the world, and then come back together collectively and became a nation again. That's a miracle in itself. But that also is biblical prophecy. And God was saying here and showing in his word, when you see this happen, because the fig tree is the representation of Israel. And he said, when you see Israel become a nation again, which happened May 14th of 1948, when you see this happen again, then you know the end is near. And he said, this generation that sees this time, that sees Israel become a nation again, they will not pass away before the return of Christ. So what, what that means is about age 72, this May, would be 72 years old. That generation, and I'm talking about uh, being born that year. I'm not talking that they were like eight years old and saw it on the news or something. I'm talking they were born. That's 72 years this May. So we know that that, that doesn't leave time to, to play around. It's not like we've got, well, you know, another 100 years or so. No. This can happen any time. That's why we've got to be very serious and diligent about teaching people these things. Because people don't know it. They have not been raised in church. And there's many that have been raised in church and have backslidden. They've went, they've went their own way. There's a lot of people in this area that say, yeah, I went, to, I went to church with my grandma. I went to church with my mom and dad. Yeah, I used to go to church, but I don't go anymore. I don't go anymore because I was hurt, or I don't go anymore because, you know, I just ended up uh, doing things that, that pulled me off track, or, you know, I've just gotten busy, I've done, you know, uh, X, Y, Z, and now my, my job does this, and I've got to I've gotta go to work, and I'm just not in church anymore. And the thing that, that concerns me is the thief in the night, and boom, people think that, oh, I'll have time, I'll have time. All the time, when, because surely it'll look like the stage is setting up. Surely it will look like you know certain things are going to happen, and I'm going to give. A, I'm going to have been given a warning to to get my life in order. But the thing is, it says while people are saying peace and safety, peace and safety. Well, what does that mean? Well, are you still in Matthew? Okay, uh, let's. Continue on at verse 36. It says, No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. That was the scripture I was talking to you about earlier. That was Jesus himself saying that. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking marrying and giving giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two will be in the field, one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, one will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. So back up to the, as in the days of Noah. As in the days of Noah, they were buying and selling, they were marrying, everything's going on as normal. It's not like he's saying, well, you know, they were yelling, destruction, destruction, everything is chaotic. Or there's going to be, like, you know, major, major issues and everything's on lockdown. It's saying everything's peace and safety, peace and safety. He will come like a thief in the night. So there, there is no warning to the rapture. It comes at any time. 
And so we've got to be ready. We've got to live like we're ready. We've got to live in a position of readiness. Our lives have to be ready. But not only that, we've got to make sure others know. Can you imagine saying the prayer of salvation and then, you know, that same day or the next day you're caught up? I mean, bam, how close it was, you know? And how, how you could be the one that led someone to the Lord. You know, you just, but how many have been led to the Lord just this year? You know, I mean, I look at you, winning souls. People that, that don't even have many years left, you know, they're, they're 80 years old, 70 years old. They're, and they're, they're being led to the Lord. Even if they don't see the return of Christ, their life is close to an end. So we've got to live a ready life. Because we don't know. We're not promised anything concerning uh, the return of Christ other than what the word of God says. But there is no sign that says, okay, when you see this happen, then you know that Christ is going to return within a month. So we have to live a ready life. Now go back to uh, Thessalonians. It says, while people are saying peace and safety, 5, uh, verse 3, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Why? Because as soon as the rapture happens, there comes a time of the tribulation. Seven years of tribulation, and that happens before the millennial reign, when, when Christ brings his church back, and there is a millennial reign of a thousand years on earth, a new heaven and a new earth. But I'm focusing tonight mainly on the rapture. But it says, but you, brothers, are not in darkness. So this day should not surprise you like a thief. That's why we're talking about it. This shouldn't be a surprise to the church. When this happens, this is something that, that we're expecting. We're aware of. We know this is going to happen. We are excited to see our group. We're excited because we're the bride of Christ. Yes, I want more time because I want more to people to be, to be right with God. You know, the Bible says that, that a lot of people, they scoff because they say, you know, well, well, when is this coming? People have been yelling this for years. Since the beginning of time, they say that God's going to return, that God's going to do this. But it says that God is not slack concerning his promises as people think that he is. But he's giving more time for people to be drawn to repentance. The reason he hasn't returned is because he's waiting for people to repent until the fullest number can come into the kingdom of God as possible. It's his grace that, that means that he hasn't done it yet. Do you know uh, when we were studying in, in Genesis a couple of weeks ago and we talked about Methuselah and how Methuselah's name meant uh, then the deluge will come, the flood will come, and, and it was referring to because Methuselah was born before Noah. He was in Noah's, Noah was in Methuselah's lineage. And he was he lived to be 969 years old. He was the oldest person that ever that ever uh, lived. But you know what's interesting is about Methuselah, because God he got his name meant whenever he passes, when he's gone, then the deluge will come. Then the disaster, the flood will come. So whenever Methuselah walked this earth, once he was pulled out of the way, guess what? The flood begins to come in. Methuselah was a sign of grace. In fact, he was like a sign of the Holy Spirit. Because that's the reason that, that this hasn't all happened yet. The Holy Spirit that lives in us, until the Holy Spirit is rushing out with us, then the Antichrist cannot come on the scene. But Methuselah was like a sign of grace. Because until that point, when God finally took him home, then the flood came that year. And it says, just like in the days of Noah. Oh, I lost. Already turned. In the days of Noah. And what happened in the days of Noah? The flood. And it says people were eating and drinking. Uh, in the days of Noah, until he entered the ark, people didn't know anything about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. The, the ark was actually a, a form of salvation. There was one way into the ark. Who shut the ark door? God. God. 
When the, when the seven others went in with Noah, total eight, the family, in the ark, God shut the ark door. That ark was the symbol of salvation. And there's one, only one door in, Jesus Christ. So there's only one door into salvation. But that ark is a representation of salvation. It's the same thing for us today. The thing that a lot of people are afraid of is, are we going to deal with the wrath? Are we going to deal with the, with the tribulation? Are we going to, how many have read Revelation before? It can seem like a, a scary book to read because there's a lot there that we're not going to understand everything about. You know, it, it, there really has to be a revelation behind revelations <laughs> because there's, there's just so much there and there's things that we, we won't understand entirely until things happen. But, you know, even with a, I lost my train of thought. What was I saying before that? Y'all lost your train of thought too? Okay, we'll just pick up. <laughs> The tribulation, yeah. Not a lot of people think that they're that. Well, what's going to happen? Are we going to be here during the tribulation? Well, I want to give you some scriptures so that you have the understanding what scripture says. Because I believe from everything that I've read in scripture that we will be raptured out of here before that time. Because everything that points to, uh, you know, God saving His people. Let me show you some scriptures around that. Um, Let's go to, well, you're already in 1 Thessalonians. Let's go to, flip back to chapter 1 in 1 Thessalonians, go to or verse 10. And it says, And to wait for his son from heaven, whom, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. It says he rescues us from the coming wrath. Now go ahead and flip over to 2 Peter. Chapter 2. Verse 5. It says, If you did not spare the ancient world, when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, which was his family, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what was going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued Lot, a righteous man, who was distressed by the filthy lives of lawless men, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials and to hold the unrighteous for the day of judgment while continuing their punishment. What he's saying here, just as in the days of Noah, what was he doing? He was saving Noah from the destruction. He was saving Noah from the wrath, from uh, what destroyed the ungodly men. Just as in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, when every person in that city was evil, except for Lot and his wife and his, and his two daughters. And of course, Lot's wife looked back longing for, for uh, you know, what was left in this city. Uh, her desire was for that city. So she turned to a pillar of salt. But Lot and his two daughters were saved. But what was in that city was wickedness. But God saved even one man out of that city and his two daughters because they were considered righteous. If God did that for them, will he not save his own bride? Will he not keep them from the wrath that's going to come upon this earth? You know, the Bible uh, specifically talks about that. So we know that God, he's, we are not to suffer God's wrath. We're not to suffer. I'm not saying that there's not going to come trials. There's going to come trials. But he says that those who go through the trials and they stand firm and they don't shrink back, then he will reward them. So we're not going to shrink back. During the, and the thing is, like uh, Pastor Brown was speaking this morning about knowing that there's going to be, knowing that there's a giant, 
you know? Because the thing is, if you think that everything's just going to be like, you know, smooth sailing, and, and that you're not going to face any kind of a giant, because there's always a giant to the promised land that you got to kick out. There's always a giant that you've got to confront and, and kick him out of the promised land so you can move into the promise. So the thing is, if we think that there's not going to be, and then we get there and we go, oh, what are you doing here? You know, and, and we're taken by surprise, and then we just kind of like back up. Because, well, you know, I don't know what this what, what he's doing here. I thought this was supposed to be mine. I thought, th I thought this was my promise. Well, I guess it's not. And you, people can lose heart. People can lose faith easily if they don't realize we're supposed to fight the good fight of what? Faith. faith. The good fight of faith means that you've got to fight to keep your faith. Not fight with flesh and blood. But you fight to keep your faith intact. You fight to keep the word of God hidden in your heart so that you can use it against the schemes of the enemy. That shield, right? The shield of faith that quenches every fiery dart of the enemy. Every fiery dart. Not one or two. The shield of faith quenches every fiery dart. So as long as we have the shield of faith, if we have faith continually in front of us and continually uh, that, that that's what we're walking in, then we'll be able to quench every fiery dart. So we walk in faith. Our fight is to keep faith. To keep faith in our heart. To keep faith in our inner being. That is our fight. Let me look up one more scripture. Hold on, let me see. If I want to turn here or not. Go ahead and turn to Second uh, Thessalonians. You were in First Thessalonians, but go to Second Thessalonians. Chapter two. Verse 1. It says, Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us saying that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and exalt himself. This is talking about the Antichrist. He will oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped. So that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things. And now you know what is holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. Who is the one that holds the Antichrist back from being revealed at this time? Yeah, the Holy Spirit that's living inside the, the people, the church. So the Holy Spirit is the power that holds the Antichrist back. Now it says that at work right now is the spirit of lawlessness, but who we call the actual Antichrist, the ruler, has not yet been revealed. That will not do so until we are taken out of the way. So we are the ones holding it back, but that means, that's why Jesus said, but when I return, will I find faith? Because is Jesus going to return finding a, a church that is actively doing something for him, standing and, and being a, a solid in, in what we've been called to do? Are we actually pushing back or are we laying down? Will I find faith? Just like what I said, you know, that we've got to, to keep the fight of faith, that what we believe God is calling us to do, just like 
uh, David this morning. You know, Pastor Brad was preaching about David. He said, is there not a cause? Don't I have a reason to ask this question? Is there not a problem, guys? It looks to me like there's a problem. Who's going to take him out? Who's going to take care of this issue? Because if this doesn't get taken care of, we all become slaves. And everybody was running in fear. Everybody is laying down. Everybody's going, no, not me. Uh, you know, this just looks like a bad ending. It's just going to have to be that way. There's nothing we can do. How many times, you know, we read these stories sometimes. These are real stories. These are real lives that happened. And sometimes we read these, but we don't know how to transfer them over into our lives. Because what God would do many times in the Old Testament is to use an actual physical thing. But in the spirit realm, we've got to realize that the giant, the giant today is what? Is sickness. It's coronavirus. The giant today is, is the fact that there's unemployment. The giant today is, is everything's going to be doomed. How are we going to make it? I don't have a hope. The giant today is, what, are, what am I going to do with my kids? What if my kids catch this? The giant today is the fear that combats people's minds. Any fear that there is, is the opposite of faith. So any fear that comes in is actually trying to set up in your heart. That is the giant. And we have to recognize that fear is the giant. That has to be taken out. And just like Pastor Brad said this morning, finish the job. You know, you got to continue. You got to, you, you know, get that. The interesting thing was with David, you know what he did? It says that he, he, he takes Saul's armor, he tries it on. You know, he's walking around. He's like, this is not comfortable for me at all. This, he's, I, this does not fit me. I'm not used to this, he said. You know what I thought about that? He said, I'm not used to this. And I thought, he's been in, in the presence of God too long. I'm not, used to, I'm not used to this world's way. Because what Saul represented was the world. Here, wear this, uh, do it this way, you know, make sure that you're careful, you know, make sure that you, know, you got to try this, because I don't, I don't, I don't think that slingshot's going to do you any good. You know, you're going to have to put that away, boy. That's, that's not going to work. This guy's been training since he's been young. Have you seen his sword? Have you seen his jab? Have you seen his head? Like, you're going to have to put the slingshot away. You're going to have to use my methods. It was just like the story I told you the other day about, uh, help me out, John. Help me out. Yeah, John G. Lake. And, and he, he went to Africa, and he's burying bodies, and he's healing people of the plague. And, and here comes, you know, uh, people in that are, that are medically uh, equipped to handle the problem. And they say, well, we figured you've been out here on the field doing these things, touching bodies and dealing with people. How are you keeping from getting this plague? And, he's, and he says, because Jesus Christ lives in me. The spirit of life lives on the inside of me. And when that is flowing through me, if I can stay in abiding with the spirit of life and the Holy Spirit, then everything else that's of sin and death, the, the law of sin and death and the curse of that dies. And they put the plague on him. And when the plague came on him, it died. But the thing is, the medical professions, they were like, uh, well, we think it would be a good idea for you to use our stuff. And he says, I don't need your stuff. I don't need your stuff. But that's what the world will do. We think it would be a good idea for you to do it our way. We think it would be a good idea if you trust in the world system and not in the word of God. We think it would be a good idea if you, if you raised your kids this way and, and not with how, how you're doing it. That's really old-fashioned. What are you talking about? You, you spank your children? That's... That's terrible. That's teaching them violence. <laughs> I mean, obviously you got to do it right and correct and not in anger. But the thing is, there's a reason. They have to learn the consequence of their behavior. Otherwise, they will never feel the consequence of anything. 
So the thing is, when we understand that God's word has the answer for everything that we need in life, then we listen to the world. The world will have our children a yes. It takes a village to raise a child. You know, everybody should raise your child. Your school should raise your child. You don't have to be responsible for anything. Let just let this school raise it. No. You mold your child the way that you are supposed to according to the word of God. I mean, do you understand how close we are to a one world system? Do you know that the UN has been meeting in 2016? They have adopted that I, I, I brought it, I ran it off. Transforming our world, the 2030 agenda for sustainable development. And they have, they have goals and they have all kinds of things that are for your good, for the good of the whole world. And one of the things that they have already uh, put in place and introduced is the Convention of the Rights of the Child. This has already been adopted by every other country except for the United States. In Somalia, but that's because they don't have a, a legal government. But the United States has not has not signed this yet, but every other country has. And there's policies and things in it that pretty much say if that we know what's best for your child, and we're going to assign oh, a state worker to every child to make sure that the child knows their rights. And if that child ever comes and tells us that they don't have their uh, that something's going on, can you imagine a six-year-old telling somebody because they they mom and dad didn't get them this toy over here, that mom and dad they they don't take care of me right. They don't, they don't, they, they don't give me the things that I need. How things can get misconstrued in a child's mind because they don't understand everything. You discipline them, but they don't always understand why. You know, you, you have rules and things that you, you tell them not to cross the street. Do they understand at age two? No. Well, don't you think that age 13, they're not going to understand the consequences for everything in life? They're not. But they can go to an authority and report you? And all of a sudden, state steps in, well, your child has rights to, to you know, other things. And if, if we don't feel like you're making the best decisions for the child. What was interesting is whenever I looked up, uh, they had um, um, various uh, uh, rules all the way up to, uh, I think it was like 50, 54, but, but 36 or 37 through 54 was not on there. Like I had to really search for that because that all dealt, like everything else was published to the, to the public and in some of these places, it's already happening. In some countries, it's already happening. But some of them, you know, like 37 through 54 were left out because that only deals with how the state is to implement something if the parents aren't following the rules. You don't need to worry about that. Don't, you don't, don't think about that. That's just for the state. How scary is that? These are things that are already in place. They want a one-world system and a one-world government by 2030 that is affecting the, the waterways, every source of water. They, and of course, it's all pretty because it sounds like peace and prosperity, and we want to make sure that, it, that it's all done so that everybody has uh, you know, everything that they need. But in order for them to do this, their hand is in every single thing. You will not have a say. They have a say. It takes, the, it takes all uh, authority away from state government, from cities, from town councils, because they will tell everybody how to run worldwide. And this is within 10 years. They're already, it started in 2016. They're already in a system, and it's already been five years since they've begun this. And they've already started working on these projects. They want all these things in place by 2030. We're the only thing that's really holding them back, the United States. That's why it's so important to pray for our president, that he makes the decisions that he needs to make for this country to keep our country sovereign, 
to keep our country in a position where we make our own laws. That we're not just throwing in, you know, all of, you know, I mean, it just, but again, it's biblical prophecy. We know that it's coming, but all I'm praying for is time. It's not like it can be avoided, but I'm praying for extra time. I'm praying for time that, that the most amount of people that can come in will come in. That's what we've got to pray for, and that's what our agenda has to be. That we continue to save souls. That we continue to plow the ground for his kingdom. That we do everything that we can to continue to get the word of God out. Because in the end, we go home to be with the Lord. Amen? And, and our lives are in eternity with God. Forever and ever and ever. So it's all good. But right now we work. Well, it's still daylight. Where did I tell you to turn? Second Thessalonians? Oh, I read that, didn't I? Okay. I'll go ahead and finish that up, that part there. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan, displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. There are going to be some that will refuse to love the truth. They do not want to love the truth because it goes against their selfishness. It goes against the decisions that they have to go making decisions uh, to, to put their self on the side and do what is holy and do what is righteous. So as a result, what does it say? For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that they will all so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. So there are people that will they just they they push the word of God, they push the truth of God off for so long that it's like their conscience has become steered that they've hit a point where God just lets them uh, just receive a delusion of a lie and they believe that lie and they won't be saved because they chose to love the wickedness more than they love the truth and of course Romans. Romans talks all about that. So if you read the first part of Romans, it talks about that. People that chose to love wickedness and love what they wanted to love rather than loving the word of God and the truth of God. Finish up with John. So if you want to flip to John 14. Here's the good news. <laughs> I know everybody's like really sober now. <laughs> I'm just sharing it with you so that you understand. You know, I don't want you to be uh, naive, just like Paul said. I don't want you to be ignorant. Of, of these things, because these are things that we should understand and know about. But in John 14, verse 1, he says, Don't let your hearts be troubled. So don't let your heart be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. This is Jesus talking. In my Father's house are many rooms, and if it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. What did another version say? Somebody give me something else. Um, uh, verse 2. In my father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. He goes to prepare a place for you. In another version, it, it says mansions. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Oh, Hallelujah. He's preparing a place for us now. He, he left. Do you know all of this points back to the Jewish tradition of weddings? 
You know, the Jewish, the Jewish male would uh, many times be engaged to uh, the person that he's supposed to be married to for years. But that contract was done sometimes when they're children. But they may not marry for seven years. They may not marry for, for quite a while, but the contract is done. That contract is, is like our contract with him. Our contract with Jesus Christ. We're the bride. He's the groom. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, it says, that, or in the Jewish tradition, he goes, what, what he's doing is he's preparing a place for the bride. He goes off and he prepares the home. He prepares the room that they're going to be staying in. Gets himself established so that he's able to take care of his bride. And then whenever it's time, he sends word back to the, the bride's parents and says, I'm going to pick her up now. I'm ready for it now. But the bride doesn't know. Because guess who, guess who the only person that knows? Like he's over here working on the home, but guess who actually gets to say, all right, son, go, go get your ride? It's actually the father. The father tells the son, yeah, I think you're ready. She, you know, go get her. She's, she's ready to come. You've got everything established there and ready. So then, then he goes and gets her. And that's why when, you, when you're talking about the, the ten virgins with the oil lamps, the parable that Jesus said, and five were, were ready and had oil and five didn't, because they, they got lazy. It says that they fell asleep. And there was no oil in their lamp. They did not, they, they're carrying around a vessel, which looks good. They, they look like they're doing the Christian thing. But the thing is, the other five, they have their lamps and they have them filled with oil. They're prepared. Why? Because they got to go out and meet their groom. They have to be ready. They have to have the right. So when they hear that the groom is coming, then they go out and they meet him. They have the light. They're ready. They're not running around going, I can't see where I'm going. I don't know where my oil's at. I need oil. They're ready. They're ready. That means we got to stay ready. And so then he takes his, his bride. And, and for uh, the typical wedding would last uh, seven days. It would last a week. And he would, he would take the bride. And he would actually take her into uh, a room. And he would uh, consummate the marriage. You know, they'd have uh, their moment alone for the evening day. You all get me? <laughs> and and what, what's interesting is she's supposed to be pure. And of course, the Jewish uh, religion took this very seriously. She's to be a virgin. She's to be a pure bride, spotless. And so that reflects what we're supposed to be, a spotless bride without stain or wrinkle. So there's so many similarities. And that seven-day that, that seven period that we, I believe, represents the seven, the seven years of tribulation that's happening on earth, but guess where we're at? We're in the wedding feast. We're at the wedding feast. And we're also at the banquet where, where Jesus is giving us our crowns. The things that we're actually doing for him now on earth, we get rewarded for it, says. So it's like, you know, have been, has anybody ever been to a sports banquet? You get rewards. You get your, you know, lame trophy. Yeah, here's your trophy, you know, participation trophy, everybody's a winner. But with God, you know, what we do here on earth, he gives us crowns. He gives us not coloring crowns, crowns that are nice crowns. Of course, we get to lay them at his feet. We get to present that to the one that saved us out of all destruction and out of hell. So the whole thing is a symbol of who he is to us what we're supposed to be to him, and how we're supposed to remain holy. How we've got to, to be in a place of always being ready Amen. and being holy. Yeah. Amen. Amen.